Amen. Such a privilege to worship God and to be in, uh, in His presence among our brethren, citizens of heaven. Before we proceed, let us come to God in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we just praise You for glorious indeed You are our God. You're holy, 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 and you desire holiness in our lives. We have our righteousness in you through your Son, Jesus Christ. And that's why we can come to you boldly in your presence. Father, this morning we ask that your Holy Spirit once again move in our midst and speak to us, make your word alive. And that it's transforming work, Father. Lord, we are your sheep of your pasture. And we enter your gates, for you are our good shepherd. We thank you, Lord, for whatever is accomplished this morning. May we be focused to listen to what you have to say to us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. The title for today's message is When God Tests a Couple's Faith. The couple whose faith in God we will be studying and expounding this morning is Abraham and Sarah. Their names originally were Abram and Sarai. When we read in Genesis chapter 11, you can you open your Bibles there, verse 31, it tells us the preceding events in the life of Abram and Sarai. It says that Terah took Abram his son. So Abram is the son of Terah. And Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, his son, Abram's, Abram's wife, and they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go with the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Um, I don't know if, where's the map? <laughs> oh, there. So that's where they came from, the Ur, the city of Ur, which is located in modern, southern part of modern Iraq. They went up to the southern part of Turkey, going down to Syria, then going down to the promised land where Jerusalem is the capital. So from Ur to Haran, that's about uh, 700 kilometers plus. And then from Haran to, to Canaan, that's about uh, uh, 600 plus uh, kilometers. So that's, that's really far. And if they were walking or they were riding on a donkey, but they could not probably ride, uh, let everyone ride on a donkey. But it took months uh, to reach the promised land. Now, Haran uh, was the place that they settled after, uh, for a while on their way to Canaan. It was a bustling city. It was a a city where trade was happening, 
and they seemed to like the place. But God's plan was for them to be brought to the promised land. Abram was 75 years old at this time, and Sarai was 65 years old and was infertile, verse 30 says. So they were childless, this couple. When Abram's father died, God called Abram, told him to go to the land God will show him, which was the promised land. So the first point that I'm going to discuss with you is that God calls a man. Then he gives a command and then gives a promise. And this is what happened to Abram. God called him, commanded him, and promised him. In Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 to 5, we find there, it says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. So God is going to bless him to become a great nation so that he will be a blessing to others. Verse 3 says, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took his wife, Sarai, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions they had gathered, and that people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. So along with this command to leave, God also gave Abram a wonderful and seemingly incredible promise, considering that Sarai was 65 years old and way past menopause, that they're going to have descendants, they're going to have children. Abram and his wife must have been so excited as they were you know, on their way to the promised land, thinking about this wonderful promise that God gave them since they were childless. And Abram was 75 and Sarai was 65. They were old. They probably thought that they will have a child soon because God said that they're going to have a child, but God did not say when. <laughs> However, 10 years have passed. They were already living in the land of promise and yet they still had no child. Then God spoke to him, to Abram, in a vision. Genesis chapter 15, verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. Do not be afraid. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. So at this time, ten years have passed. Abraham was already 85 years old, and God promised to give him a great reward. And look at what Abraham said in reply, verse 2 to 3. O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. Abraham may have asked, how long, O Lord, will you fulfill your promise? How long should I wait? Now, people who have faith in the Lord accept the promise of God and wait. 
they may even remind the Lord of His promises to them. They are focused on God and they are certain that God will fulfill His promise. That is the picture of a people of faith. Here lies the difference from those who have no faith at all because they neither trust nor hope that God will live up to His promise. They cannot imagine that God would do things for them. So that's, that's why when you share the gospel to them, they cannot accept. They, are, they have difficulty in believing what God is saying. Genesis chapter 15, verse 4 to 6, and, the, and behold, the word the Lord came to him, came to Abram. This man shall not be your heir. So this is in reply to Abram saying that, Lord, you have not given me a child yet. So my, my inheritor will be Eliezer, who is a son of my servant. And God said, no, this man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside. So God brought Abraham outside of the tent and said, Look, Abraham, toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. There are millions of them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. God saw Abraham's, or God saw Abraham's heart he had faith in him, and that made him a righteous man before God. This is the first instance where it is written that our righteousness before God is when we believe in him, in what he says. The second point that I'm going to point out to you is Abraham. And Sarai became impatient. While they knew that God promised to give them not only a child, but children, many descendants. In fact, God had good and great plans for both of them. But, there's a big but. They became impatient and they wait, they, as they waited for the fulfillment of God's promise even with God's prior assurances. God told him, look, Abraham, count the stars. Can you count them? Your descendants will be as numerous as the stars. Yet, relying on human wisdom, Sarai proposed a plan which Abraham foolishly agreed. Genesis chapter 16, verse 1 to 2 says, Now Sarai... Abram's wife had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold, now, look now. The Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And look at Abram's response. Abram listened to the voice of his wife. This is scandalous in today's culture. For a wife 
offering her maidservant to her husband to conceive a child. But it was an accepted practice in those days. It was a form of surrogacy and Hagar would be the biological mother. In fact, archaeologists discovered ancient tablets containing marriage contracts which stipulated that a barren woman must provide her husband another woman for the purpose of begetting a child. This is what happens when people have a mindset of that having a child or children is more of a right than a privilege granted by God. The result, they become insistent and they become impatient. Abraham and his wife embark on their own feeble plan. Perhaps Sarai said to herself, where is the fulfillment, Abraham, of God's promise? I, I'm still not pregnant. It's been 10 years. I'm already 75 years old and, child, and still childless. Lord, can you hurry it up, please? Maybe I need to do something about this. In verse 2, Sarai tells Abram, Look now, the Lord has prevented me from having children. Sarai thought that since God prevented her from having children and did not mention who would be the mother of the promised descendants, aha, maybe Hagar is the answer to their longings. I have this young, pretty maid servant. Maybe God's plan is for Abraham to bear children from another woman to realize his promise, not me. Very pragmatic. It, if, it, if this works, well, voila, this is, this is the solution to our problem. But there's a big but. Did Abraham and Sarai ask the Lord about this plan? They had direct access to God. God spoke to, to Abraham. Why did Abraham not avail of that access to God? If Sarai only asked the Lord, Lord, you promised as a child, since I cannot conceive one of my own, is it okay to ask my husband to have a child through my maidservant? Then perhaps God would have appeared to Sarai or spoke to Sarai and told her, no. Had Sarah done this or Sarai done this, perhaps Abraham would not have begotten Ismail, whose descendants would be Israel's enemies for generations to come. Trouble follows after disobedience. That's why a good reminder for all of us. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 to 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him and He will make your paths straight. Now, why do we need to trust the Lord? To trust Him with all our heart. It's because He is sovereign. He is in control of all things. 
And he is all-knowing and has the best plans for us. We are not in full control. We are not all-knowing. Many times we don't have the best plans for ourselves. We think they may be the best plans, but in the end we realize they were the wrong plans. So if you put the Word of God side by side with the plan of Sarai, it's not hard to see that she was veering away from the right path. And Abraham should have seen it, but he ignored it. So we can recall another lesson from the past. Remember Adam? He listened to the words of his wife. God directly spoke to Adam and gave him his commands. Again, he listened to the words of his wife. Adam, this fruit, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, it looks so good, gives us wisdom. Good for food, makes us like God. They both fell into sin with tragic consequences, not only for them, but for generations to come, up until today. While we recognize, brethren, that our spouses are our closest human friends, sometimes they're not. This does not mean that we have to leave our brains behind. Husbands and wives ought to carefully think and check the advice of their spouses, especially in important matters, because it might be going against the will and plan of God. We must make sure that our decisions are in agreement with the will and the wisdom of God. Otherwise, we might just be entering into a big problem we cannot handle or bring us into an inescapable trap. And passivity on the part of Abraham towards Sarai's ungodly advice led them and many succeeding generations into serious trouble. This was Abraham's first leadership mistake. Abraham's problem began when he followed his wife's plan. Genesis chapter 16, verse 3 to 4a. So after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he, Abram, Abram went into Hagar, and she conceived. Abram and Sarai must have been so excited when they learned that Hagar was now pregnant. They were happy. It seemed like Sarai's plan succeeded. She was very pragmatic as a wife. This worked. Her plan worked. Or so it seemed. Let's continue verse 4 and 5. And when she, meaning Hagar, saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress, Sarai. 
And Sarai said to Abraham, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. Look, what's happening to the household of Abraham now? Now that Hagar is pregnant, the couple is blaming and pointing fingers at each other for Sarai's misery because of Hagar's disrespect for her mistress. Who's responsible for it? Abram? Hagar? And why was Hagar contemptuous to her, towards her mistress? Who knows, maybe when Hagar got pregnant, Sarai began to give her extra attention and serve her to make sure that the baby, Abram's son, would be saved. Among anak. The roles will now reverse. The mistress was taking care of the maidservant. And instead of being grateful, Hagar disrespected her mistress. And this made Sarai very unhappy, miserable. Now look at Abraham's response response to his wife's accusation. Genesis chapter 16, verse 6. But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, look, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, of course, and she fled from her. This was Abram's second leadership mistake. Watch what's happening. In the ensuing conflict, Abram neglected his leadership in the home and relegated the decision-making to Sarai to resolve her problem with Hagar since he was her maidservant. In Cebuano pa, ikaw may nagplano ani, nagproblema naman ta, ikaw sulbad ani. That's what basically Abram was saying. So Sarai maltreated Hagar, forcing her to go away. This was supposed to be the couple's dream come true, having Hagar conceive a child by Abraham and in their mind, the fulfillment of God's promise. But instead, this has become a nightmare for them, the source of their marital conflict, and a pregnant Hagar is being forced to leave from the family. Where is Sarai's thoughtfulness. Where is Sarai's concern and kindness? Remember, she proposed the plan to Abram. It was she who brought Hagar to, the, to bed with Abram so they can have a child. Kung ang mais, dadon nga manok, dili ang manok ang mudagan. Right? In Cebuano? You know, we have a fallen nature. And both of them, this couple, were not thinking right because they could not wait for God to act on His promise. So when Abram was 86 years old, finally, Hagar delivered a son because they came back. An angel of the Lord came to Hagar, spoke to Hagar and told her to go home, to go back to Abram's household. 
So Hagar finally delivered Ismael, a son who would become the ancestor of the Arab nations. And the conflict between the child of their own plan, Ismael, and the child of God's promise is still felt until today. You see what's happening in the Middle East? Israel is surrounded by many enemies, a lot of them mostly Arab nations. But, you know, in spite of Abram's failure and shortcoming, God remains steadfast in his faithfulness to Abram. God's faithfulness endures forever. The Bible says, we all fail, God. Time and time again. But once we have that relationship with Him by faith in His Son, Jesus Christ, that relationship, that bond is established for heaven and that covenant that God has given to us will remain because God's nature never changes. He remains faithful to us. Genesis chapter 17, verse 15 to 17 says, And God said to Abram, in verse 5, The Lord changed Abram's name to Abraham. So now his name is Abraham. As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. So both their names were changed by God. Verse 16 says, I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her, I will bless her, and she will become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? He said to himself, Of course, God could hear him. <laughs> Even if he was just speaking to himself, maybe he was speaking in his mind. Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? Most women are menopausal by late 40s to early 50s. Here, Sarai or Sarah was already 90 years old. Now, you must have seen somebody, a woman who is 90 years old, how she looks like. 25 long years have passed since God promised the couple children. Even with our advanced reproductive technology today in our modern times, there is no record worldwide of any 90-year-old woman becoming pregnant. Even if you go to the most advanced centers for in vitro fertilization in the world today and ask for help and you're 90 years old they were just one look at you and they'll say I'm sorry you're way past our, our technology we can't help you 
When God said he will have a son by Sarah, who was already 90 years old, Abraham fell on his face and laughed. Could hardly believe it. He thought of the appearance of his wife and at himself. Kabungkagunan sa doha. When in this age of modern electronic gadgets, we would consider both of them really, really low bat, <laughs> powerless. The Bible says, "Good as dead." That's what, that's the description in the Bible. Although you know Abraham lived up to 175 years of age. And Sarah lived up to 127 years. At this point in time, I would like to call uh, a sister who will give her personal testimony. Uh, sister April, let's give her a round of applause. Good morning. I am Sister April, uh, wife of Brother Edwin Katamko. Both of us are full-time workers of this church. We have been married since 2008, and like every married couple, we desired to have children. What made it difficult, though, is I am polycystic. It's a condition where my egg cells have difficulty to mature or to fertile. After a few years, it disappeared, but it was replaced with a myoma, a benign tumor cells outside my uterus which over the years grew from 3 centimeters to 12 centimeters last year. Early on, we tried to seek medical help twice, but I ended up being depressed every time my monthly period comes. So we decided to stop medication and just trust God's hand to work miracles on my womb. It was a struggle, especially for me. I got a little jealous with newlyweds who, after a few months, share the news of being pregnant. I was also pressured by family and friends who kept asking if how many children do I have. I shed so many tears for this, and on my own, I would have given up. But I chose to trust in the sovereignty of God, and I always look back to God's promises early on our marriage that He will give us a child. Pages of my Bible and journal notebook listed the dates and promises of God to us. I kept asking the Lord, when will you give us the promised child? And as always, his answer was, be still and know that I am God. And it meant, wait, wait, wait upon the Lord. Last year, God made me meditate on the book of Genesis twice. I concentrated on listing the different attributes of God, and I found more than 100 of His attributes on Genesis alone. This helped me a lot not to dwell on my situation, for it only gave me emotional stress. Rather, I focused on God who gave me emotional and mental stability. October 2017 was a time of total surrender to the Lord. I was invited to preach in one of our extension services, and the topic that I shared was about steadfastness in life's storms. 
I made a public confession of my allegiance and devotion to the Lord. And in tears, I said, If it pleases you, my Lord, that we don't have a child yet, then I submit. If it pleases you, then I submit. With or without children, I will still love you and serve you. Little did I know that after a few weeks, God was working a miracle in my womb. November to December, we enrolled ourselves in a gym to keep us fit. My monthly period didn't come December 3, so I said, I think I need to stop working out since I felt a little pain every time I do crunches. December 11, as I was eight days delayed, I bought a pregnancy kit without Edwin's knowledge. Early morning of December 12, I planned to do the pregnancy test, but I opted to meditate on God's word first. I was reading at that time Genesis 36 regarding Esau's descendants. And uh, from verse 6, suddenly the word Esau's sons seemed like popped out from the page. Then I said to myself, Mabdus Judaico, Lord, I was really pregnant. I had the preg test at 4 a.m. and slowly two lines began to form. I was overjoyed. I woke up Edwin and showed him the result, and we then gave thanks to God in tears. Ten years. Wow. I find humor in God. I became pregnant at 40 and will give birth at 41. I felt like the Sarah of this generation. Maybe for some of us, we would say, isn't it too late to have a baby at the age of 41? Our timetable is different from his. Scripture says that he makes all things beautiful in his time. When I had my ultrasound, I was shocked that my myoma got even bigger, 18 centimeters. I was closely monitored to be sure that it would not affect the baby. The myoma was on my left while the baby grew in her limited space on my right tummy. From there, I knew that I will undergo CS operation to get the myoma and a hysterectomy if I'll be bleeding. So, tangtangon akong uterus. I almost choked when the doctor said that it would cost us not less than 120000 There were many times I was visited by fear for my baby, for the operation itself, and for the expenses. But I turned to God saying, Lord, it is you who gave me this baby. I trust that you take away my fears. I trust that you take care of my baby inside and provide for our hospital needs. We don't have much in the bank, so we waited for God's provision. To tell you honestly, the day before the delivery, I was roomed in, but we haven't reached the expected money yet. But I am confident that God would do a miracle, for I chose not to depend on credit cards or to borrow money from others. I declared that I have a big God who is rich in resources. July 24 this year, I gave birth to the child of promise. The, the first sound of our cry was the best music I ever heard. We were able to pay in cash and get discharged debt-free from the hospital. 
thank you for the people whom God used to help us. Baby Zaya, that's her name, is now two months and a half old. And every time I look at her face as she sleeps, I would always say, thank you, Lord. Up until now, I am amazed at the work of his hands. And just like Hannah in the Bible, I vowed to dedicate our child to the Lord for his purpose. I'd like to encourage all those who at this time are still waiting. Maybe for a child, maybe for a salvation of your spouse, or anything that you have been waiting for. Focus on God and not on your circumstances. Fix your eyes to the giver and not the gift. If you have received a promise from the Lord through his word, hold on to it. Okay. Trust that God is faithful to fulfill it, regardless of how much time you are to wait. There is nothing impossible with God. I asked the Lord, why only now when I am old? And his answer was, for my glory. Indeed, he alone deserves the glory. Thank you. Praise God. What a beautiful testimony Sister April uh, gave and shared to us today. Uh, perhaps some of you will become like Sarah, 25 years in waiting. <laughs> Who knows? Only the Lord knows. <clears throat> now, we might ask the question, why was God delaying? the fulfillment of his promise to Abram and Sarah. You know, delayed promises trouble the hearts and the faith of many people about the plan of God. It challenges them whether to continue to believe or to trust God. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 12, we find there the reason why God waited for so long to fulfill His promise to Abraham and Sarah to have children. It says, Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable, innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. God is faithful and He is able. Amen? Where science was not able to help Sister April, God provided her with a child. God waited until they were both very old and as good as dead, having no natural ability to procreate anymore. On their own, they were both unable, even if they were willing at that age. Perhaps sometimes Sarai would elbow Abraham, Abraham, Abraham. Maybe tonight, Abraham, is the night that God promised we'll have a child. Tuhod ako, sakit pa. This impossibility would make sure that they, the household members, their neighbors, their friends, and the community, and they themselves know 
that it was by God's power alone that enabled them to have children according to God's promise. This was the main reason for the delay that God would get all the glory. Abraham's or Abraham's faith brought glory to God. Genesis chapter 17, verse 18 to 21, And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ismael might live before you. God said, No. But Sarai, Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. See, Abraham was concerned about Ismael because to him, Ismael was his eldest and the eldest gets the, the major portion of the inheritance. God said, no, your wife, Sarah, shall bear you a son. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ismael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. There are many Arab nations whose uh, uh, progenitor was Ismail. And they're rich. God has blessed them as well. He shall, have, uh, he shall father 12 princes and I will make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. Notice God gave assurance to Abraham of his promise. They're going to have a son, very specific, not just a child. God told him it will be a son. And his name is Isaac. And then God went on to say that the time when Isaac would be born will be the same time one year from this encounter with Abraham. Very specific. So how did Abraham and Sarah break out eventually from barrenness and have a child of God's promise? It was by faith in God. God taught them an important lesson. The way to enter the promised land is through faith in the promise giver. Do not focus on the gift, as Sister April said earlier. Focus on the gift giver. Romans chapter 4, verse 18 to 21 explains, In hope, he, meaning Abraham, believed against hope. What is this saying? He believed against hope. Because in a hopeless situation, he was believing that God would still fulfill his promise. Human wisdom was telling him, no, it's impossible for you to have a child with, with Sarah. That he would become the father of many nations as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. Verse 19 says, he did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body which was as good as dead. 
She, she was already nine, 100 years old. Or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No distrust. No mistrust in his mind would let Abraham waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. Notice the sequence. In hope, he believed in God against hope. He did not weaken his faith. And so he grew strong in his faith, not allowing any mistrust to control his mind and heart. Verse 21, he was fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But notice, this particular scripture is not only written, or was not only written for those who live at, during the Old Testament times, but also for the New Testament times up until today. Verse 23 says, But the words it was counted to him were, as righteousness were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also in this new covenant. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who believe in God, the Father, who raised from the dead Jesus, our Lord, his Son, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Abraham was not a perfect man, and he had his share of moments when his mind was probably doubting, but in his heart, he continued to trust and hope in the promise of God. He was growing intimately in his relationship with his Lord. And the third point that I'm bringing to you today is that God fulfills whatever he promised to Abraham. And God fulfills whatever he promised to us, believers in Christ, as written in Scripture. Genesis 21, verse 1 to 3, The Lord visited Sarah, as he, as he said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. In Genesis 18, 14, the Lord asked Abraham, Is anything too hard for the Lord? This reveals God's omnipotence. Abraham's God is our God. Do I hear amen to that? Hinaibana. Is Abraham's God our God? Our God is omnipotent. He's able to do beyond what we ask or even think of. I don't know what you're going through today, what kind of trial or testing God is allowing you to experience. But one thing you can be sure, this you can be sure. But a day will come when the darkness that shrouds you will be blown away because the Lord will fulfill his promises to you.
In His time, God makes all things beautiful. Let us not follow Abraham and Sarah making their own plans. Let the Lord's plan be accomplished in our lives. His plans for us are only the best. We have an awesome God. We have an all-powerful and faithful God. God taught Abraham and Sarah a lesson of faith and perseverance in waiting. When I had my, when we as a couple, my wife and I, Nora and I, had our greatest test. Eleven years of waiting for God's promise to be fulfilled. In the process, God was molding our character. God was molding our faith and our trust. God is in the business of building our faith in Him. Our faith is not static. It's dynamic. It grows. When we were born of God, when we were born again, we demonstrated faith in Christ. But the, the level of faith that we had at the time compared to now that you have known the Lord for many years would have grown wider, deeper, higher, farther. It was a lesson Abraham will never forget. What a great opportunity for them to know God better and deeper. That's why every time God allows us to be tested, our attitude should be, Lord, help me to learn this lesson of faith. I will continue to trust in you, no matter what. The hardest part is the waiting time. Remember that. Later on, when God gave Abraham a far greater testing by asking him to offer his son Isaac. Now, this was a greater test now at Mount Moriah. God asked Abraham to offer his son as a sacrifice to the Lord, which is unusual. This is the only time that God ever asked a man to offer his own son and the son of promise as a sacrifice. Abraham did not hesitate to obey God. He knew God better and he was ready. But God spared Abraham's son and provided a substitute of an animal and Isaac lived. Abraham passed the greatest test of faith in his life. About 2,000 years later, God offered his son, Jesus Christ, on Calvary Hill, and he did not stop the spear. He did not stop death taking his son. Romans 6.23 explains why. For the wages of sin is death. 
Jesus was taking all the sins of the world. He had to die on our behalf because of God's great love for each one of us. So that we might have, so that we might receive the free gift of forgiveness and eternal life. In Christ Jesus, our Lord. It was an incredible offering of His love on our behalf. Jesus and died and rose again. He paid our debts of sin to God in full. And if you believe in Him and in what He has done for you, you receive this gift of reconciliation and a new life that is eternal. Do you believe this in your heart? Do you have faith in this truth today? Jesus is coming soon. He's coming soon to take his people before he pours God's wrath into this rebellious world. Are you ready? Will you be joining the rest of the people of God? God has called us to a new life in Him through Jesus Christ. He commands us to walk by faith in Him. And He promises that He will go with us through easy times and difficult times. He promises He will never leave us nor forsake us. Like Abraham, He tests us to learn His lessons, what it means to follow Him. Because He is equipping us, strengthening us, and leading us. He is our good shepherd. Let us therefore completely entrust ourselves to Him because of this. As the Apostle Paul wrote, He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of the Lord Jesus when He comes. Glory to God. Let's give a round of applause to the Lord. Hallelujah. Glory to you, O God, for you are a, a God-fulfilling Lord who is faithful to do what He has promised. Let's bow down our head at this time. Father, thank you for your word today. You have made your word alive in our hearts and in our minds. Thank you, Lord, for the life of Abraham and Sarah. Thank you, Lord God, for the demonstration of their faith in you. And thank you for the testimony of Sister April this morning that has encouraged us a lot, Lord. And thank you, O God, that though you allow us to go through testings, you are there with us, beside us, before us, and behind us. We can always trust you, Lord, for your faithfulness endures forever. Thank you, Lord, for your great love. We thank you, O God, for 
the continuing work that you're doing. We thank you for this church. We thank you for our senior pastor, Brother Mel. Thank you for the ministries in this church. Bless them, Lord. We thank you for all members in this church, those who continue to attend the services, and those who are watching the program on television. We thank you, Lord, for the many blessings that you have showered upon us. We offer to you our tithes and love offerings. Use them for your purposes, O oh God. All this for your glory alone. And thanks and praise in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Hallelujah.